This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. So, along the lines in your middle school, high school career, did you ever take a world religions class? If you did, and you came to Hinduism, of course you learned about the caste system, because all courses involving Hinduism involve the caste system. And If you did take this course and you did learn about caste, you probably learned something very simplistic. That is that there are four castes, the the, the priests, the government, uh, merchants, and the laborers. And then there is this subcaste that are often referred to in classes such as uh, these as the untouchables. And that this is a very rigid system and that there is a great deal of discrimination that goes on between one caste and another. And after you learn that, you move on to Buddhism. And that's that's how it's played. Well, we've discussed caste here on this show several times over, over the years, and it isn't quite as simplistic as what so many Westerners are taught. And right now, there is a significant movement here in the United States that is essentially saying, hey, all of these Indians are bringing caste bigotry to the United States. And so places like colleges, corporations, city councils, they're all passing resolutions and codes that infer that caste discrimination goes on in the classroom, in business, in city government, And there are laws now being passed to make sure that no one is discriminated against because of their caste. Well, some Hindu groups are concerned about this. They feel that they're being singled out and that discrimination against someone because of their so-called caste is they're already protected through other laws. We thought that this is a good subject to investigate today here on Common Threads, and we have two guests who know a little bit about this. First of all, Aldrin Deepak is a technology worker and a Dalit that formerly would be referred to as a so-called untouchable. He's a Dalit Hindu living in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's well-versed in Sanskrit and enjoys studying and teaching about Hindu Dharmic texts. Aldrin is a member of the National Steering Committee at Kona, the Coalition of Hindus of North America. We also have Pushpita Prashad. She's a storyteller and communications professional with a background in working with technology, media, culture, and history. She's a columnist at Pathios and has been published in India Currents, Indian Express, First Post, and others. Pushpita researches, publishes articles, and educates about topics related to India, Hinduism, its festivals and traditions, decolonization, media representation, and human rights. And she serves on the board of Kona. We would like to welcome both Aldrin and Pushpita to Common Threads. Hello. Namaste, Fred. Great to be here. Yes. Thank you so much for for, uh, both joining us. So 
let's set the stage first. We should probably have uh, a bit of an introduction to what is commonly referred to as the caste system. And I know that some people from India prefer to use other terms rather than caste. Uh, so let's, let's talk about this. Does Hinduism divide uh, communities uh, or societies into four different stratas? And if it does, what are the ramifications? What is, how is this uh, uh, hierarchical system supposed to work? Thanks for that question. And, uh, you know, I'm going to take a minute to just unpack what you said, because um, what you said is so reflective of the common narrative, which is also extremely colonial in its construct. You know, um, I have to take a minute at the very outset. One must remember, if you remember nothing about the caste system, remember that it's actually derived from a Latin Iberian word, casta. And I think anybody with common sense should take that as a cue and start to think about this word and challenge this, these, some of these assumptions you made about, you know, it being linked to Hinduism or being 2,000 or 5,000 or what the, a whole lot of numbers are thrown around by the so-called experts. So why is a term, uh, um, a.k.a. caste, which people tell us is so central to India or Hinduism or whatever they want to say, why does the Hindu religion or why did the 30 plus uh, languages that exist in the Indian subcontinent not have a word that we would use instead of caste? And I think that is where any person should go looking for clues. Um, not to say that India did not or Hinduism did not have hierarchy or divisions or groupings, uh, but caste is not an accurate way of describing anything that happened in traditional uh, Hindu society or traditional Indian society. So um, there is no equivalent of the word caste in any Indian language, and there are like 30 plus of them. A caste was a colonial construct that was put on the Indian subcontinent during colonial rule. And I want to just point out that it was actually, and it was and continues to be a very racist construct grounded in the white supremacist thinking of the time where, you know, white European colonizers were out, uh, quote-unquote, exploring the word, world with the, um, under the authority of the papal bulls, and uh, they basically considered it their job, you know, it was the, the burden of the white man, quote-unquote, to civilize us brown savages. And caste was part of what they imposed on uh, the societies that they conquered as a way to get some structure into the bewildering diversity they found when they started to govern parts of the Indian subcontinent. Um, so bringing it back to Hinduism, yes, Hinduism has many, many ways of grouping uh, people. Uh, there is Jati, Varna, Kul, Gotra, Shreni, Sampradaya, and several other terms uh, that we can spend a lifetime discussing. But not one of these terms equals caste. Very often, people conflate two terms, which are very different, Jati and Varna, into one term, caste. And when you start to conflate multiple aspects into one term, you start to have a problem. Um, the way I explain it is if you were explaining the recipe of a civilization that you had no idea about, and if you had, um, you know, if you translated everything as rice, 
then you would just assume that this civilization was eating nothing but rice. And that is why uh, using usage of colonial terms actually changes society. And in this case, it wasn't just terms. Um, the, the, you know, the, the British governed us for several centuries, and they actually implemented laws and acts that made people recategorize themselves. So I just want to contextualize that at the start and um, hand it over to Aldrin if he wants to add anything. Um, yes, just uh, taking from uh, where the Pushpita Ji left off. Um, so when you look at the how the Varnash system works and then what a jati is, jati is the, the you know the, what are your professions, right? Like what are your profession that you were born into, and Varna uh, is what you basically what you do like uh, as a person in uh, contributing to society. So um, that basically explains what Varna Jati is, but that, there is nowhere there that says that, that, that caste. So that means that you're born into this, you're just stuck there. That's part of uh, what is uh, now a mainstream idea did not exist in uh, Indian society. You know, I... Yeah, and you talked about schools, and I just want to point out that everybody's probably familiar with that infamous pyramid. And again, there is no source for that pyramid in Hindu literature. That was, again, a colonial way of trying to simplify, explain um, what they saw. And uh, we often refer to some uh, quotes from British administrators. A lot of this happened as part of the censuses Mm -hmm. that the British administrators did. And uh, if you look at the reports from the people, the British officials who were out administering these uh, colonial uh, surveys, they were basically reporting back to their boss saying, hey, boss, uh, the categories you asked me to fit people into don't really make sense. You know, when I ask people which of these five or four castes you're in, they give me a bewildering array of answers which doesn't really stack into it. And so, the, you know, like every cor- any corporate uh, underling can identify, the bosses would be like, well, you know, figure a way to fix fit it. And so you would have these thousands and thousands of groupings just being force fit into what the British wanted to turn into, you know, a four or five tiered structure. You know, I read recently that the idea of hierarchy, let's call it that as opposed to caste for, for right now, that the idea of hierarchy in the Hindu scriptures is not proscriptive, but descriptive. And, and by that, I mean this. If you read Hindu scriptures, you're going to learn that you should not commit violence, you should not lie, you should not steal. Those are proscriptive. The, the, that's the scripture telling you how to behave. But the idea of hierarchy, so for instance, uh, in, the, in the Vedas, you've got uh, this, this figure of a, of a person and the Brahmins are considered the head and uh, down the line all the way to the, the laborers being the, the feet. Um, and, and so what I read is that that is not proscriptive, it is descriptive. It is whoever wrote that scripture simply acknowledging that hierarchy exists. It's a human trait and that certain people will be born with certain uh, uh, talents and others will be born with others, and that you you can't force someone to do something that is uh, against their ability. It, 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 is, it is beyond their ability and their interest. Would you agree with that, or do you have a different spin? Actually, Fred, I'll give you one better. So the Vedas uh, were in certain forms, 
the person who basically divided the Vedas into the four Vedas and who wrote the 18 Puranas was himself. His mother was uh, 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 what you today would call, but that, did, that word did not exist, what today you would call a Dalit, right? His mother was a fisherwoman. His father was a Brahmin. So, and he is the one who divided the Vedas, and he is the one who wrote 18 Puranas. Now, today, every Vaishnava house, they say, Vyasaya Vishnu Rupaya, Vyasa Rupaya Vishnave. His name was Vyasa, and they call him, Vyasa is the same as Vishnu, and Vishnu is the same as Vyasa. So, you, uh, you can see that even though that, that hierarchy exists in society, it was not a rigid hierarchy as people say so when people were saying, so when you meet somebody, you basically ask what's their name, what they do. And that was the word that was used always. What you do is what you do. That's your profession. So, and just because you're born in a fisherwoman's family did not make him that they said, oh, you're born there. You cannot do that. And today, whatever he's written is the, the main uh, book that we use to speak about what Sanatana Dharma teaches. So uh, you can see in that that what is taught is not the fact at all. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella, and with me today, two guests, Aldrin Deepak and Pushpita Prashad, and we're talking about caste in America. Right now, we're talking about caste in India and the religion itself, but we're going to be getting into how that manifests in the United States in just a moment. Would you, would you both agree that in India and Nepal and perhaps other Indian societies around the world, I don't know, that there is a form of bigotry uh, and prejudice uh, between social groups? So I'll take that. Um, one of the things I want to point out is, yes, there is, hierarchy in India in all South Asian countries, and just like there is hierarchy in every human grouping across the world. So I don't think, and obviously there are people who suffer, there are atrocities that happen, and anytime an atrocity happens or people suffer, that needs to be um, acknowledged and addressed. So there's no gains, no, there's no two points on that. And that has happened through history, it happens today. And unfortunately, will probably happen because humans at, uh, you know, at their fundamental core have always struggled with these issues. What I want to point out is the inherent Hindu phobia in singling out one part of the world or one set of people and studying and assuming that they have more hierarchy or more rigid hierarchy or more atrocity than other parts of the world. I think that's the fundamental issue. Nobody is denying that, you know, um, hierarchies don't exist or atrocities don't happen. But has anybody done a comparative analysis of hierarchies uh, across the world and then how these things get framed? Um, if you look at caste, caste was actually, like we said, a European uh, Latin word, casta, and the Europeans, medieval Europeans, were very obsessed with purity of bloodlines, etc., and so they imposed certain structures in all the lands they colonized. In some places, they had a longer-lasting impact than others. But even today, you, there is not a single country, there is not a single society on Earth, including right here in the U.S., uh, which prides its, and in, you know, we live in Bay Area, California, which prides itself on being very progressive. 
Um, we ourselves are struggling with issues of inherited privilege and hierarchy and structures. So I think this, what we object to in this caste discussion has been this, the way it has been framed in trying to uh, project one part of the world and one set of people as more worthy of study and monitoring on the assumption that they have more hierarchy and oppression than all other groups. I think that is what we'd like people to take away with. Not that we don't have hierarchy or oppression, because that would be a foolish statement to make. And, and Aldrin, let me ask you this. In, in India, and, and I'm going to throw in Nepal as well, does this hierarchical bigotry that Pushpita acknowledged does exist, is it exclusive to Hinduism, or do other groups, other religions also uh, practice a form of discrimination? So, Fred, you're right. So it's not just in Hinduism. But so so uh, I will make it a little bit more complicated, sorry, but it is important that we bring these uh, facts in. So, you know, even in Dalits, there are hierarchy of Dalits, right? So, for example, let's say a person that works in a, a cemetery, right, is much lower than a person, let's say, a pot maker or whoever, right? So even within themselves, they, it depends on where you're economically. So it's a, the irony of this whole thing is if you see where these things happen, it's always in the poor population that happens, these kind of things. Like if you come to urban areas, see, I grew up in a city in India, and I came to America when I was 19 years old. So in all my life, in, including in India and in America, nobody ever asked me my caste. Nobody asked me, what jati are you? What varna are you? Never. It did not happen uh, because I just grew up in, in, in the cities. The only time somebody will ask you that too, you have to go to be in a rural area, but you have to be in a certain community and you're trying to participate in something. Or you live in there and there is some kind of resource issue where people are fighting for it. That's where it, it happens between these people. So it's not something that uh, I would contribute to just uh, on a, a, a part of the Verna system, it's also because of the, the, uh, the scarcity of resources. And like what Pushpita Ji said, we condemn any kind of discrimination, regardless of who it happens to. Uh, so it, it, and like what you're saying, see, when uh, the, the people came to conquer uh, in Goa, even till today, the, the class system exists in Goan Christians, they call themselves Brahmin Christian, uh, Kshatriya Christian, so on and so forth. So that exists even today. But that, that, they, just, they just use that as marrying to one another. And most of, most of the people doesn't have any issue, but that issue happens in where there are poverty-stricken, resource-lacking uh, uh, places. These things, hap- things happen all the time. So, and the, the, uh, that's an unfortunate uh, uh, reality of India. And you have to realize we are 1.4 billion people trying to, uh, you know, uh, get resources as much as possible for each other. And that causes friction in people. I mean, you can see um, when, you, when we are living in uh, the most developed world, we are having the same issue here. And that happens the same thing. And when you look at the conflicts, where it happens and among who it happens, uh, whom it happens, you can see, you can draw a correlation between these two areas. And it's not just India and Nepal. I would challenge that framing a little bit. 
because you find ca- uh, caste is a problem that bedevils the whole Indian subcontinent. And again, that makes sense if you consider that these are the places that the British ruled and the same laws applied everywhere. Um, India, by the way, is the only country that actually formally abolished the caste system when it gained independence. So um, all those statements about caste being a legally sanctioned system of hierarchy are plain wrong because it's actually been legally, it was never legally, uh, there was a never, never a legal system of um, discrimination, but it actually has been abolished since uh, 1950. But to the point that there is caste among Islam, uh, there are Ashrafs and uh, Ajlafs and Pasmandas, a, a topic that almost never comes up. Uh, but you should certainly look at uh, some of the writers and folks that are now talking about it, how a very small sect of Ashraf um, Islam, Muslim people capture pretty much all the representation for Muslims. And this is in the Indian subcontinent context. Um, similarly, uh, there is a lot of caste among Christians to the point that they get buried in separate graveyards and they don't visit each other's churches. And, um, you know, people who marry into a different caste um, are sometimes not allowed to be buried in their family graveyards, etc. So this kind of, like I said, bad stuff and discrimination happens everywhere. What I want to point out in this whole thing is caste is supposed to be, or caste, at least as it's put on the Hindu context, is supposed to be more pernicious than other forms of discrimination because it is supposed to be something that has run unbroken for 2,500 years or 5,000 years, whatever they feel like saying. And that is something that is, again, patently false, because if you look at the Indian history, you will find dynasty after dynasty, for example, that derives from what we would call different uh, jatis, including those that modern terminology classifies as lower, etc. So a very quick example, um, if you go back as old as uh, Greek history, and the, when Alexander with, came to India and tried to fight India, um, his, his army... One, there was a border skirmish, and after that, his army refused to advance into what was the heart of India because they did not want to battle the then ruling empire, the Nanda Empire. And who was the Nanda Empire? The Nanda Empire was descended from what we call the Shudras. And there is a, a there's generally an assumption that the Shudras are low, which is wrong. Um, we have another national leader in Kona who's part of the Shudra, and she was very annoyed when. American school textbooks taught her caste as low. She was like, I'm really proud of being a Shudra. Who the heck are they to say it? And my community, my guru, my temple never told me that I'm low. Yes, I'm Shudra, and that's my identity. I'm very proud of it. But now I have a problem where American school textbooks are telling my son that he comes from quote-unquote low. So I think that's the issue is that there is no unbroken multi-century chain of uh, discrimination. That is fundamentally what needs to be understood. And, and let me say, uh, it's interesting because I know sometimes people attach uh, financial status to caste. And I'm aware of uh, someone who sits on a board of a charity uh, and uh, that provides education for people in South Asia. And in the mission statement, it says uh, that... Um, through their efforts in education, they're fighting things such as caste discrimination. And this person protested saying, well, wait a minute, let's, let's uh, get into this. So they, they tried to investigate how many students they were helping from this caste or this other caste. And it turns out that half the people, and, and remember, you have to be poor to get in this program. Half the people in this program were Brahmins. And the other half were 
other castes, but t- t- people tend to think of Brahmins as being the power brokers. And I, from what mm. I gather, it's not true. Yes, Fred, that's, that's absolutely correct. If you go through uh, the rural India, the problem of poverty is not for one or the other um, caste. It is equal to all castes. And you can find Brahmins working as janitors, uh, sweepers on the street. You can find... See, the, the problem is, if I bring 10 Indians in front of a, a Western person, you will never be able to uh, point out that's a Bra- the Brahmin, that's a uh, Dalit. You, it's absolutely impossible. In my family, I have all spectrum of education, all spectrum of colors, right? Because uh, when you look at that, that this whole, the, the whole reason I became active in, uh, uh, in this whole casting was because I read a Cisco case where they say, uh, in Cisco case, they, they describe Dalits as oppressed, uneducated, dark-skinned people. Now, I gave you an example of Veda Vyasa, who basically literally wrote 18 Puranas. Today it is also used for, for every Hindu, you need Puranas and Mahabharata, Bhagavad Gita. And um, that is from that, uh, the Dalit, the, the, the uh, now so-called Dalit, um, caste that he came from. So it's, it's a very um, difficult thing for the Westerners to understand how this works. So just by blanket statement uh, of things like, oh, yeah, they, you, you have to be this. Uh, if you're this color, you're this uh, uh, caste, uh, you're uneducated. So you're this is a very um, stereotyping thing that is, does not really uh, paint the right picture of what's going on in India. And again, I want to bring, I know this is radio, so I can't show you data. But there is actually history, again, if we look at data from 1839, and this is British data, so you can't accuse it of being Hindutva. So um, there, is a, there is a list of the students enrolled in Calcutta Medical College in 1839. And if you believe that, you know, Brahmins were dominating all through history, you should assume that they were the dominant folks in this medical class of 1839. Unfortunately, out of 50, well, uh, out of 50 students, not unfortunately, out of 50 students, only five are listed as Brahmins by the people who are preparing these lists. So again, you can see that the Britishers are sort of trying to put people into, uh, into caste. So they're not succeeding even back then. Uh, but there are only five out of 50 uh, medical students who are uh, Brahmins. And then there's some Bedas and Kayasa. And then they interestingly put druggist as a caste, you know, weaver as a caste, and a goldsmith as a caste, and bankers as a caste, and miscellaneous then. So this is why we say this modern terminology, which is trying to streamline and flatten a bewildering array of diversity, is just factually wrong. It's uh, probably done to make folks feel good. But it's just plain wrong, and that's why we fight back against and, it. And at, at this point, uh, we are out of time for this episode, but we never even got to the very important subject of the concern of caste here in America. That will happen next week, but this has been a good foundation. I want to thank both of you for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Appreciate you. Looking forward to continuing the conversation. This is Common Threads here on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella. Please join us next week. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. 
In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week, we began our conversation about caste with our two guests that we're bringing back this week as well. Last week, we talked about pretty much caste as it is defined, as it is lived in South Asia. Today, we're going to talk about caste here in the United States. A little bit about our guests. First of all, Aldrin Deepak is a technology worker and a Dalit Hindu living in the San Francisco Bay Area. He is well-versed in Sanskrit and enjoys studying and teaching about Hindu Dharmic texts. Aldrin is a member of the National Steering Committee at KONA, the Coalition of Hindus of North America. Also with us, Pushpita Prashad. She's a storyteller and communications professional with a background in working with technology, media, culture, and history. She's a columnist at Pathios and has been published in India Currents, Indian Express, First Post, and others. Pushpita researches, publishes articles, and educates about topics related to India, Hinduism, its festivals and traditions, decolonization, media representation, and human rights and she serves on the board of Kona. So we welcome to Common Threads, once again, Aldrin and Pushpita. Hello to both of you. Hello, namaste. So last week, I really think we laid a pretty good foundation in terms of talking about what is often referred to as caste. Uh, as, as we learned last week, there are multiple words for multiples, multiple ways to categorize certain uh, segments of Hindu society and South Asian society in general. And today I want to talk about the interesting phenomenon that is going on here in the United States. When those of us who were brought up in Western education learned about Hinduism, we learned about caste, about the four castes, and certainly there was uh, misinformation along with the information that we received. But we all kind of got the impression that all of that, whatever that was, was over there. It was a world away in, in countries like India, Nepal, wherever. And as of recent, we've learned that, uh-oh, wait a minute, those Indians are coming here and they're, they're bringing their caste bigotry with them and they are infecting our colleges, our cities, our, our companies. 
And there is a movement to specifically categorize caste discrimination as a, a forbidden activity, to actually list it with things such as discriminating against people because of their sex, because of their ethnicity, because of their orientation, etc., etc. And a lot of Hindus, and I know that you two are are examples of this, you have a significant problem with that, and this is what I'd like to really focus on today. So at the very end last week, as I recall, one of you mentioned uh, the Cisco case, and I think that that is the very first time I ever heard of anything like that. So why don't we talk about that? If if memory serves, it was the it was the first case of its kind, and you might correct me on that, but it was the first one I ever heard of. Tell us about the case and what caused concern in the Hindu American community. Sure. So I think you're right. Cisco was the first time it sort of um, that we saw this, and I think it's also uh, emblematic of why we are fighting this, because. The Cisco case, as we dug more into it, um, first of all, was how it was handled. So the the California department which filed the case made some flat-out wrong and extremely stereotypical statements as part of its court filing, and Aldrin can talk to that because that is what actually motivated him to speak up. But if you look at it, there has been a, sub, a sub, um, fundamental subversion of the principles of justice. So the case was filed in June of 2020, here we are almost three years later. Nothing has been proven at all. I believe not even much has been heard on the case. The state has been unable to make its case. Yet, in the court of public opinion, those two people who were sued have been deemed guilty, which itself is wrong. But more importantly, the community they come from, a.k.a. Hindus and now South Asians, have been deemed guilty. So my question to anybody who supports caste policies is, why are you in favor of a law that completely subverts the most basic principle of justice, namely you're innocent until you're proven guilty, and that your acts of an individual and acts of a guilty individual do not reflect upon his or her community? That in an, I mean, we could talk for hours on the Cisco case, but that in a nutshell is a problem, that an unproven allegation against two individuals has been used to build a house of cards and allegations that we now have caste policies in multiple universities and now a city, all alleging discrimination based on one court case that hasn't been proven. And and very quickly, uh, could you could you describe just exactly what allegedly happened at Cisco? What what were they trying to prove went wrong? Um, I think the case said that um, there was there are two uh, there are two. Brahmin supervisors, and they denied a promotion to one of their employees who identified as Dalit, um, also that they outed him as Dalit. So again, um, we could talk for hours on this stuff, uh, and you can look at court documentation, but that framing of the identity of the Cisco employees is also shows how Hindus and South Asians are losing their freedom of religion. Because the main accused in the Cisco case, a guy called Sundarayar, has filed a court document response. So this is like stuff you have to be correct on, otherwise you're guilty of perjury. So if we look at his doc- the response that he filed back, he linked to a blog that he had published as a student some 20 years ago, 
And in that blog, in his student days, he basically said, I don't believe in organized religion. So effectively, he called himself an atheist. Yet, when Cisco decided to sue him, I mean, sorry, when California decided to sue him, the state of California changed his identity and said, you are a Iyer, and therefore you are a Brahmin, and therefore we think you did oppression based on caste. So we had a fundamental subversion of somebody's self-stated atheist identity into something completely different. And so again, that's a perfect reason of why we are out opposing this, because we don't want the state of California or the most uh, well-credentialed Ivy League professors and activists telling us what our identity is. And I'd love for Aldrin to speak on this as well. So this Cisco case is the the one that uh, that uh, uh, basically did it for me. Because, I mean, I've lived in America for the last 35 years. Um, I have many Hindu friends. Um, I have many uh, Hindu rituals that I conduct in my house and invite people. Never, ever anybody had any problem with that. Um, no ever Hindu asked me what my religion is. I go to my uh, local temple here in Livermore. No, no, no one has ever asked what your caste is. I have actually uh, participated in volunteering to get the, uh, the, the, the temple ready for uh, pujas and uh, uh, ceremonies. Nobody has ever asked me um, what my caste is. So when this, uh, I saw this and I found out the facts about uh, Cisco case, I realized how horrible this thing is and who is benefiting from this. Um, I have, like I, like I said, n- none of us, none of us in our community have any problem that anybody who is discriminating against somebody should be punished, punished uh, severely because that is the worst thing that you can do to a society, uh, bringing division among people. But when you bring up a case that is still pending and using that as a whip to, uh, you know, uh, progress your own agenda, whatever that is, that became a problem. And then when I first joined uh, Kona, nobody ever asked me what my um, my um, caste was. It's not like my name could tell what caste I was. But once they, we started talking about the Cisco case, and we were literally sitting there wondering, like, well, who is going to represent us? Because now they're going to – because we don't even ask each other what uh, 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 caste we are unless somebody's name really – has the caste identity there. So I volunteered myself, and I was like, this is nonsense. Why are we uh, creating a problem that does not exist? And the people who sit and talk about these uh, issues uh, have, whatever for whatever reason, decided to take this up as an issue, um, uh, is furthering their own agenda, and it's never going to help a Dalit in America. Uh, and how are you going to prove who is a Dalit? Let me just uh, talk a little bit about that because it's important. So, see, the, the jati, which is what we're talking about, which is jati literally means that which you are born in. So that is uh, very different in each state in India. So a jati, a, 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 a jati, a, a, a play, a, a identity you are born in, in one state, is considered uh, lower caste if you go to another state uh, like uh, three state away in India is not considered lower caste. And how are you going to figure out who is t- telling the Dalit and who is not? Are you going to give a certificate? And who is going to say that Jati is uh, uh, lower caste 
so that can be uh, proven as that it's a discrimination. How are you going to do that? You don't have the ability or the tools to do that in America. Uh, and like I said, in the last 35 years, I never asked anybody their cast, and nobody ever asked anybody, me, me, my cast. And we all sit down and pray together, eat together. And if you're a vegetarian, I cook vegetarian for you. When I go to their house, they accommodate me. So none of this nonsense happens around, among people that live in America. And what is, what is the real reason this is happening? It's almost like, you know, the, when the British came to India, they put the sign up, dogs and Indians are not allowed. Now uh, they're telling us here how we are going to uh, recognize and identify ourselves so they can decide who is going to stay out at the gate and who is going to come inside the gate. It's a recolonization of Hindus all over again. And that's what I'm like very upset about. It, it's not that you have concern that something happened to somebody. If you have proven it and if they got punishment, like we have all the laws that we need to punish people for discriminating against somebody, what, what is the agenda? That's the question that I have, main question. So you're saying that if somebody did discriminate against somebody else, so for instance, you're very open about being a Dalit. That's right. It, let's say you went to work for someone and then you get a new manager and he is South Asian and he learns that you're a Dalit and he clearly offends you in some way. He doesn't promote you or he fires you and you have clear proof that the reason he did that is because you're a Dalit and he just doesn't like Dalits. How are you protected? It's based on your birth or country of uh, your creed. It, it, it is. It, there are enough uh, laws in our uh, books to uh, make sure that that doesn't happen, right? That we can, um, based on that, we can sue the person. So this isolates Indians. And, and, and see, the way the wording is done, it's, it, it's almost like it's, we're, it's in our DNA to discriminate so that it has to happen. It's like if you take, a, a, take every segment of the society that is coming from outside the Western world, then are you going to start saying in, from this community we have to make sure this law is passed because that is the uh, normal, you, uh, normal way that they do in their country? I mean, we don't do that to any other community. It's only to South Asian for, as if it is the discrimination only happens in South Asia, and it doesn't happen in other countries. Like if you take some countries, there are certain people don't like certain way of things done, so they are discriminated within their own community. So we don't talk about it. It's just that for some reason... That, and this is a quiet community that does not make much uh, noise and that, that don't go and protest, that don't go and, uh, you know, ask for this and that and everything else, is the one that is targeted. And that's the question we are asking. Why is that? Why is that? And tell me, tell me, if you, if you have some record of these things happening, bring those people. You know, every time I go and speak about this thing uh, in, uh, in universities, in the in the uh, state uh, or city uh, legislation or ordinance, whatever they're bringing in, every time inevitably end up people who have nothing to do with it, who have left uh, the the tradition and culture of our communities, you are the ones sitting and uh, voting against it, and I'm not given the chance to talk about what I have to say. 
you you know this is the problem you cannot say oh dalits are oppressed dalits are oppressed but when you are sitting there are 40 people are sitting and making statement there's not one dalit sitting and telling this is what is this is this is the fact this is the uh, the, the uh, fact on the ground so how can we have a dialogue so that we understand each other first before you think that somehow i need a shepherd so you make me the sheep and you become a shepherd because you have the need to be shepherd this is the problem i'm having i do not want you to yet again colonize me and tell me i i'm telling you the 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 books that we read the tradition that we have come from part of a dalit community as we, as you speak dalit which did not exist at that time comes from that community so you're telling me i should be isolated from these people i cannot um, be a part of these people this is the problem that i'm having if you're just joining us you're listening to common threads here on wgvu fm i'm fred stella with me today aldrin deepak and pushpita prashad and we're talking about caste here in the United States and the movement to classify it as a form of bigotry officially and the movement that opposes that. You know, here's something that uh, I read. Tell me if it resonates. So right now, terrorism is illegal, right? If the three of us band together and blow up a building because uh, we belong to some radical group and we get caught, we are going to be persecuted under terrorism laws that are on the books. Uh, Now, imagine that somebody decides that there should also be a law against jihadism, that specifically Muslim terrorists are going to be singled out. Now, can you imagine the outcry in the Muslim community if that was put on the books, that there is an anti-terrorism law as well as an anti-jihadi law. I, I, am absolutely. I, same absolutely. thing, right? And I, yeah, absolutely. And I think to your earlier question, the person who gets discriminated uh, because they are, you know, because their manager feels they're upper or lower could actually file a case and win it under national origin. And you don't have to take our word on it. When the Santa Clara County tried to do the same thing that Seattle did, um, there was a seven-hour public hearing, and many people came with their experiences. And several came and said, look, we had self-discriminated. We got protection under the existing laws because they cover it. And the, the fundamental difference between the laws that are happening now, you brought it out, is that the, the caste laws are discriminatory in their intent because they single out and uh, they stereotype and single out one community a.k.a. South Asians. Everyone has a national origin, religion, ethnicity, race, gender, etc. But only South Asians are supposed to bring caste. And now city of Seattle, at a time when it is flooded with homelessness and layoffs and crime, it's going to be paying somebody a very hefty salary to be monitoring South Asians and South Asians alone. I am flabbergasted that a progressive city is singling out people based on their place of origin and by the way, they don't tell us when does this um, when does this taint, quote unquote, go away from us. It's not only first generation immigrants. Apparently, we must be having something in our genes because second generation, third generation, fourth generations, they don't quite tell us how many generations we bring this genetic defect with us because it must be genetic. How else does this um, this a problem that started as a British law in one part of the world carry over with us generation after generation? And I, I want to just bring out one more fact that we talked about the Cisco case. 
there is, other than that, there is literally no evidence, and that is not evidence, but there is no data of systemic discrimination in the U.S. And that's really important because all the other protections that you talk about that are in the U.S. laws, A, they are applicable to everybody, but B, they came after decades of systemic data being provided. You don't just work against entire communities based on one unproven case and one survey from Equality Lab that is constantly touted, a survey that was so poor that it would not have passed a high school stats 101 test, but unfortunately due to the privilege, and I say a lot of these activists are privileged people. They, they grew up in uh, you know the best of U.S. suburbs. They went to the best of U.S. universities, and they try to, they are successful in silencing uh, people like Aldrin, who had a tough socioeconomic background, and they qualify him as privileged and themselves. So it's a complete subversion of the principles of social justice. And everyone should be worried when progressive thought and social justice principles are co-opted to take out historical grievances and stereotype a community that is small and complex and unable to explain itself. Just because you're small and complex and shy to talk about yourself is not a reason to get discriminated by the state. What do you think is the motivation behind groups? And you mentioned an organization uh, named Equality Labs. I, I'm not terribly familiar with them, so perhaps you can you can say a little bit about them. And 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 uh, but specifically, what is their motivation? Why would they go through the lengths that apparently they're going through to get these resolutions passed in colleges and in cities? Uh, uh, and, and claiming that caste discrimination among South Asians is rampant across the country. I can't speak to their motivation, um, but what they have done is publicly several times said that they wish to dismantle and demolish Hinduism. So um, certainly that could be an intent because despite all the window dressing of South Asia, the heart of the caste conversation is always at the Hindu community because like you said yourself, the only religion that is taught in the context of caste in American universities and uh, actually sixth grade, seventh grade onwards is Hinduism. Even though caste is found in all religions, it is only associated with one religion, Hinduism. Equality Lab has put out several tweets. It has done several events where it has stated its open desire to dismantle Hinduism. Now, the First Amendment protects their right to speech and speak and think like that, and that's fine. But it is not okay when tax-funded universities and cities start to sign on to that agenda of dismantling Hinduism or demolishing Hinduism. That is the opposite of diversity and inclusion and social justice. And that is why we push back against this. Pushpita, you've mentioned a few defeats, if you want to call them that. That is to say, uh, colleges and uh, cities that have put into their codes caste as a protected class, along with uh, gender, religion, race, etc., etc. How about any victories? Have you had any victories along the way in in this uh, challenge? Yes, absolutely. Um, The biggest one was in April 2021 in the county of Santa Clara, when the same band of players, Equality Labs, Alphabet Workers Union, etc., tried to introduce caste as a protected category in the Santa Clara County. And they chose chose these places very strategically. Seattle is home to tech companies. Santa Clara, of course, is the granddaddy Silicon Valley. So they come at these places because they know that it can inflict maximum harm 
on the growing Hindu-American population and the places that employ them. Because as Aldrin said earlier, this is about money. Santa Clara County was also an interesting exercise in how um, lies are being mainstreamed because the Alphabet Workers Union representative testified as an expert about massive discrimination among tech workers. Ten minutes later at the hearing, he was asked how many Dalits he knew, and he had to confess that he had never met a single Dalit. So I think this is evidence of the this pyramid being constructed on lies. Um, Santa Clara was a win. We've had some other wins along the way. Don't want to draw attention to them. But I think Seattle is an aberration because Seattle is unique in the fact that there is a councilwoman there who is openly socialist, who has stated her desire to use this case to demolish capitalism. And unfortunately, the Hindu community has become the tip of her sphere in her grander battle. We are becoming the collateral damage and the fight between socialism and capitalism. Um, again, those ideologies can battle themselves out. And if Shama Salman wishes to demolish capitalism, she should take it on without dragging our religious liberties and stereotyping us as a community. I can't even fathom the connection between the two. <laughs> um, I can't either, but mm. she is on record. Uh, so these are yeah. her words, not mine. And you can actually find some of these clippings of her statements on our YouTube channel at Kohana Official. I know we're running out of time. I also wanted to talk about the absurdness of what was presented as evidence, quote-unquote, of casteism in Seattle. There was nonstop allegations of vegetarianism. So apparently, if you're South Asian and vegetarian, that is a huge um, marker against you. And again, I want to point out the double standards here, because as a city, Seattle prides itself on being vegetarian and vegan-friendly. So if you happen to be of any other race except South Asian, Seattle will welcome you being a vegetarian. If you happen to be a vegetarian and South Asian, that will be considered an oppressive um, casteist thing on your behalf. So they, I called think, it, uh, they called it militant vegetarianism. <laughs> yes. So there is a such thing as a militant vegetarian. So the, the, see, the, the, the problem is the, 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 our average American doesn't care or knows enough about these things for him to or her to bother about this, you know. But the, what is happening is there were eight people who are American who have no idea what these people are doing and sitting and voting either for or against this and changing the, the lives of the Indian children that's to be born in this country forever. You think this is not going to be taught in schools? And, you know, they have, they're bringing the, so the uh, Seattle uh, allocated 285000 a year to educate them on caste. And guess who they're going to um, employ, right? It's the people that are pushing this agenda, and that money is going to them. Do you think a Dalit who has uh, no connection to either of the politics that's going on and just go and educate people on what a Dalit is? This is so confusing at level. There are 5,000 jatis in India, 5,000 jatis. And, and right? excuse so, me, and, and Aldrin, at, at, that, at that point, we have to close because we are out of time. But your point okay. is very well taken. And I want to wish both of you uh, very good luck in, in your mission. And, and thank you so much for being with us today and uh, last week as well. Thank you for having us and making time to listen to this very complex topic. I urge everyone to educate themselves using decolonized resources. 
such as you can find on our website, Kohna, C-O-H-N-A.org. I'm Fred Stella. With me today has been Aldrin Deepak and Pushpita Prashad talking about Cast in America. Thank you so very much for joining us here on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.